a show of hands of who has either read or watched uh, a film version of the Chronicles of Narnia? Anyone? Okay, a few people. Um, I think that C.S. Lewis lied to me, and it was one of the most saddening things when I found out later in life. Um, I don't know, yeah, most, a lot of you know the story, but these four kids make it into the wardrobe, and first it's just Lucy, the youngest, and then Edmund makes it in, and when he gets in there, he actually runs into the White Witch. Now, he doesn't know that at the time, but really all it takes for him to get on board with her is to, you know, uh, have a, a candy, a hot chocolate, and these candies are called Turkish Delights. And now the first time that I read this book, it was my mom reading it to me every night before bed with my younger brother. I had no idea what Turkish Delight was. I, in my head, I like kind of made up like a, a, a toffee maybe. Uh, and then I saw the movies when I was a little bit older and it was this like powdered sugar, delightful looking ball. And I was all in. I was like, that must be the best tasting candy that has ever been created by mankind because this guy's ready to sell out his entire family to get more of this stuff. It must be so perfectly delicious. That has to be the best thing ever, and I haven't had it, and I'm really upset about that. Um, and this is where the lie comes in. Um, it turns out Turkish Delight is not good. Um, at all. Uh, not delightful, even in the slightest bit. Um, I have a couple quotes here. Uh, I saw a video on YouTube of someone trying to make them. And then I found like an article. Turns out a lot of people have discovered this, and it's ruined a lot of things for people. Um, but here are just a couple of quotes. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like a, a jelly-ish thing wrapped up in powdered sugar. Um, and a lot of times the flavors are, you know, different than what we're used to, so it's this super sweet, maybe like rose-flavored thing. Um, and here we go. Uh, almost solid perfume. Like a blobby pink jelly baby. Tastes like how cheap floral-scented cleaning products smell. Gummy soap. Flower-flavored atrociousness. And sticky, gunky horror. Yeah, that was pretty devastating to find out. Um, I was all excited for it. I almost actually brought some today. I found a, a, a market that sells them, um, but unfortunately they were not open Sunday mornings uh, when I decided to do that. Um, but I don't know if there's ever been anything that you were so excited for and found out was disappointing, or maybe something that you didn't think was gonna be that great, and suddenly you were in love with it, like something that twisted and turned around and turns out it was one of the better things you've had, uh, whether it's smell, whether it's a candy, whether it's anything like that. But start thinking in your brains what has brought you delight or maybe something that you thought was gonna bring you a lot of delight and didn't. So start thinking about that. And kids, before I send you out, I'm gonna pray a quick blessing over you. God in heaven, thank you for creating good things that we get excited about. Thank you for giving us creative minds that come up with things like Turkish delight and stories and um, other delicious things. Thank you for the joy that you give us, experiences we can have. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to send out our children and have a musical offering.
turn with me now to the book that we love from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred years will be considered accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands." They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The the lion shall eat straw like the ox, but the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain." This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, may the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, dear Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As horrifying as that first realization was for me about uh, C.S. Lewis and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, I think there actually might be something, another message that I picked up from that book that might be just a little bit more insidious and a little bit more subtle. It's not one that's just told by him, but it's told by parents, you know, teachers, financial uh, planners, coaches. And it's this underlying fear of delight. We kind of get that message in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Watch out. Watch out for something that's too good. Watch out for something that's too sweet. Be careful what it might get you into. And now, what I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be careful about what we're spending our money on or be careful what we're putting in our bodies, but I do think we absorb this fear of pleasure, of resting, of delight. And we have this, when we have this putting off of delight constantly, when it's always going to be another day, when we enjoy something fully, we kind of lose that muscle kind of atrophies, like if we never practice patience, we become a little bit less good at patience. Or if we never uh, work on an arm muscle, suddenly we can lift less and less. So this instinct to be unsure of delight, though maybe it's not always the worst, can take away our ability to fully delight in things in the day-to-day. Whether it's because you aren't sure you should engage with something, you're a little unsure if it's good for you or not, don't have the time to engage with something because you're always rushing to the next thing and you don't want to pause, or because you're afraid of maybe having a little bit too much of a good thing might be bad for you. Our ability to delight in the world and the people around us is taken away little by little. Luckily, in this passage, specifically in Isaiah and throughout the entire Bible, 
God gives us an example of how to delight in things and what to delight in. Even in the first few chapters of the Bible, we see how God delights in creation. God makes all these different animals that inhabit all these different spaces, and God knows that they're good. He calls them tov meod. And he comes up with the wildest stuff, and like, how could you not delight in that? We've got things like platypuses and giant squids and giraffes. Like, if you told me that there was one animal that was a horse with a horn, or another animal that is like six feet tall legs and another eight foot long neck with a purple tongue, and also its spots are kind of like a, a leopard, I would probably believe the first one if I had no idea what animals were. And if you are someone who's ever taken in a stray animal, um, you know if you name something, you're going to fall in love with it. That kind of means like you're in, you delight in that thing when you start giving it names. And that's one of the first tasks God gives Adam is to name these animals, to delight in these animals, to know these animals. And even after God creates all of these things, God continues to stay and delight. God rests on the seventh day. God takes a break so that he can absorb and be with and have a presence in and amongst his creation that he delights in. Even throughout the next couple of chapters, we learn that God chooses to come down and walk in the garden. And I believe that is in part to like a, be with and take pleasure in the sounds, smells, and existence of what God created. God is delighting in his relationship with Adam and Eve, in the animals that are surrounding us, him, and everything else in the world. And here in Isaiah, we hear, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating, for I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in me, my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. God is speaking over his recreation of the world and of Jerusalem and, and taking the world out and put, taking out brokenness taking out sin and adding more and more delight and things that bring delight to the world. As we read, we see God delights that humanity no longer struggles with illness or our bodies failing. We see that uh, in verses 20 and 23. No more shall there be in it an infant that lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. We see that a God delights in human beings being able to labor and joy and labor together, that work is meaningful and good. We read, they shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat, for the days of a tree shall be the days of my people be. And we hear, they shall build houses and inhabit them, they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. We have this vision of building deep community, and God is delighting in that. We see this vision of labor together, labor for the good of all people, and God delights in those things. This is what God delights in, and those are good and beautiful things. And I think we delight in those things here and now, you know, when we're able to work in a community garden, I think a lot of us delight in that, or even in our own garden when we see justice being done in the world and 
people losing maybe some of the uneven footing that we start out on, a lot of us delight in that. When people are healed or when people live long lives, we usually delight in that. And I think this practicing of delight in those moments of the things that God is projecting, um, it brings us hope. And that's like one last thing that God is delighting in in this passage. We read in verse 23, They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be offspring blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. When there is a future that we are heading for, when there is a good place, when there's hope, there also is delight. And I think delight in the little things along the way, things that might not necessarily be these things, maybe in creation or in other people, we practice that muscle so that we can have hope in that future. Having delight allows us to move and breathe in this world that sometimes is heavy and hard. These moments of delight sustain us so that we can live into the future that God is painting in this passage. With delight, we can be present in the world, we can be present to each other, we can be, we are able to slow down and become grounded in the goodness that is around us, even in the midst of brokenness. I think sometimes delight is seen maybe as like a fluffy emotion, an unnecessary one, uh, a cheap one almost, maybe saccharine, a little too sweet. But delight is not fluffy candy. It is not random bursts. Delight is resting in the presence. Delight is connecting with the world and with each other. Delight is connecting with God and other people and yourself. Delight is capturing these small reflections of the wholeness and goodness and holiness of our world in the here and now. How God created things to be. It's reflecting those little bits and pieces of God sparkling in our world around us. It's delighting in recognizing the holiness of something, the wackiness of something, the cleverness of something, the newness of something, the silliness, the beautiful, the awe-inspiring, the softness, the grandness. Whatever it is about the mundane, uh, I think of in the creation story, God, when he creates grass, uh, the Hebrew is actually grass, go grass. That's what it says when to go forth and multiply. Grass, go be grass. Plants, go be plants. That's what God is calling us to do in delight. It's saying, go delight in the things that are doing their thing. Go delight in the, the warthog that's being a warthog. Go delight in the child that's being a child. Go delight in Nancy being Nancy. Go delight in Sarah being Sarah. Those are the things that we can delight in and hold close. And those things change our presence in the world. Catching those moments of delight ground us. Catching those moments of delight help us practice to see delight in harder times when hope seems lost. When we see and allow ourselves to live in and embody this delight, we are fulfilling how God delights in the world and we see Isaiah's envision, vision as embodied in us. So now I'm going to take us back to the time for the child. I asked you to start thinking about things that delight you. Um, 
And I just want to take a second to share that with each other. It's going to be a little bit of like flexing our delight muscles. Um, if you can't think of anything in your, your life recently that you found delight in, maybe think about a person that you know that is so good at delighting in things. And maybe think about what they've delighted in recently or what you've seen as a delight recently. So everyone take a minute, think through what exactly has delighted you recently. And there are no boundaries, there are no boxes, there are not only certain things. Lots of things can bring us delight and use your imagination in that. All right, find a buddy, look around, and share something that has delighted you recently. Does anyone have? All right. Uh, so, sorry if uh, you ran out of things to delight in, but I hope you shared many, many things. Um, is anyone willing to share with the larger congregation something that they have delighted in recently? Or maybe you're willing to share what your partner told you. Yeah. If anyone couldn't quite hear that, he talked about being a teacher and being able to help children and adults and be able to give like that helping hand and uh, engage with someone and give them a little bit of a bump and care for others. Anyone else? Yeah, Nancy, go ahead. I love that. That's amazing. Any last moments of delight for anyone out there? All right, well, if this is something that has made you think a lot more, um, a lot of what made me start thinking about this is The Book of Delights by Ross Gay. Um, he is a, a writer and a poet who spent uh, his one year writing a, a little essay on delight 
from 2015 to 2016, and then he published those essays. Uh, and he's, a, he's just a brilliant writer and goes in so much more depth of what delight is um, and really expanded my understanding of what we can delight in. He talks about everything from uh, the person on the bus calling him honey when he gets on to a high five from a random college student to the feeling of laying in a sunbeam in the morning when you're waking up slowly. Um, he really paints a beautiful picture of delight and what it is to live into delight and practice delight. I hope that you all find delight this week in the unexpected and the expected. I hope when you have those moments, you let yourself lean into them. You let yourself pause and enjoy them fully and embodied with no guilt and no fear. Pray with me. God of delight, thank you for your good gifts. Thank you for the joy of first snow. Thank you for the moment when you get to eat the food you've been craving for a week. Thank you for the small ways that strangers care for each other by not taking each other's bags on a plane or uh, helping each other put things up into the uh, bins. Help us rest in your goodness this week and to celebrate it. Amen.